You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Please be advised the following episode contains distressing scenes of murder involving children. Parental discretion is advised. You're listening to Unexplained Season 5, Episode 12, Profit and Loss, Part 2 of 2. With the local neighbourhood still reeling from the shock of the brutal Evangelista murders, down at Detroit's Grand River Avenue police station, Detective Lieutenant John Whitman and Detectives Charles Searle and Earl Switzer were joined by Detective Fred Fram as they trawled through the various correspondence taken from Benny's office. Having found a number of letters from the extortionist group, the Black Hand, and one in particular sent six months prior to the murders, ending with the line, This is your last chance, police were beginning to suspect that they were responsible for the deaths. But there was one other letter that gave them even more pause for thought. It was addressed to a Lewis Evangelista of Coriopolis, Pennsylvania, a name the detectives knew well. Back in 1926, a man was found dead outside 3532 St. Auburn Avenue, not far from Santina and Benny Evangelista's home, having been shot multiple times. The man was later identified as 33-year-old Felis Argento, a known enforcer of the Black Hand. Argento had been ambushed just outside the property, by Angelo Paparo and his son-in-law, Luis Evangelista. It seemed more than a little coincidental that Luis was also named Evangelista, leading the police to speculate that perhaps he and Benny were related, or more tragically, that Benny and his family had been murdered in a case of mistaken identity. The police interviewed Luis at his home in Coriopolis two days later, where he gave his version of events. As he explained, He and his stepfather, Felice, had shot Argento out of self-defense when he came to collect $5,000 of so-called protection money from his stepfather. The pair had warned police of the impending danger 
but were forced to take matters into their own hands when the detectives assigned to protect them failed to show up. After fleeing to Pontiac, 20 miles north of Detroit, the pair were picked up by local police but eventually let go after Detroit police informed them of their circumstances. The officers in Pontiac agreed not to book them because they were essentially running for their lives from a criminal organisation and to do so would have put them in mortal danger. In short, Lewis knew only too well how seriously the black hand should be taken. But as for why Benny had a letter with his name and address on it, he claimed to have no idea. The pair were distant relations, he said, but hadn't spoken in years. Then, about the same time, another letter arrived at the Grand River Avenue station, simply written on a folded up piece of paper. It read, My conscience bothers me since I killed that family of six, so will confess and say I am sorry. I live on Lincoln Avenue in the 5400 block, but I won't give the house number because I want thinking time. Search the houses and you will find the bloody hatchet in a suitcase. I am ready for the worst punishment I can get. Two officers were promptly dispatched to search the location, but were unable to find any suitcase. In the end, investigating officers determined the letter to be nothing but a hoax, and Detroit's finest were once again left empty-handed. Having reached something of a dead end, investigators turned to Benny's Bible, the oldest history of the world, for clues. The book was republished online by Jarrett Kobeck in 2001, painstakingly typing it up from one of only three original copies thought to remain in existence. Jarrett describes the book as a prime example of outsider art, but one that was also gut-wrenchingly awful, while at the same time offering, as he says, a sidelong glance into all the weirdness that makes up the basic fabric of the American experience. The book, which had in fact been ghost-written, owing either to Benny's lack of English or typewriting abilities, centred largely around the wanderings of a prophet called Meal, as presented to Benny through his apparent communications with God. It was effectively a rewriting of the world as laid out in the first section of the Torah, known as Bereshit, or Genesis, as it's known in the Old Testament of the Bible. Though the press and police were quick to hold up the oldest history as evidence that Benny was attempting to establish a cult through his teachings, there's little evidence to suggest he'd amassed any followers by the time of his death. However, a sign that Benny had hung up in his basement window, reading Great Celestial Planet Exhibition, suggests he'd been intending to entice people in to visit his peculiar religious sanctum, though for what purpose exactly is not entirely clear. For the family's priest, Father Beccarini, even if Benny had only concocted it all as an elaborate money-making scheme, it was still tantamount to blasphemy. Having watched from afar, Beccarini had long been concerned that Benny's dabblings in the occult might unwittingly awaken something dark that he was not able to control. For those unfortunate to have witnessed the horrific crime scene, especially considering the lack of evidence and witnesses, they could certainly be forgiven for thinking Benny had succeeded in summoning something unspeakable from the very darkest depths of hell, only for it to then vanish silently back into the night. And if indeed a disgruntled or deranged client was ultimately responsible, 
Perhaps in some ways, this is exactly what he did. Dealing with stress is a daily struggle. I've tried a host of strategies to help manage my daily stress, like trying to maintain a consistent structure to my day or getting regular exercise. But with a young family and an unpredictable workload, it's not always been possible. One thing that has worked for me so far is new calm. New Calm is clinically proven in over 1 million sessions to improve your sleep, reduce your stress, and boost your recovery without drugs and side effects. New Calm uses cutting-edge neuroscience and consists of three non-invasive and non-pharmaceutical items, all of which are included in your monthly subscription that costs less than a daily cup of coffee. The whole process is easy to use and to work into your daily routine. So now instead of the day owning you, you can own the day. Own the day with Newcom and make 2021 the year you manage your stress better. A special link has been set up for unexplained listeners. Just go to unexplainednewcom.com and get 50% off your 30-day subscription of Newcom and their money-back guarantee. That's unexplainednewcalm.com. Unexplainednewcom.com. On the morning of Sunday, July 14th, Another letter arrived, this time sent to Detroit's Wayne County Police Station and addressed to the station sheriff, Ira Wilson. The letter, which being dated July 6th, was written only three days after the murders, read as follows. Sir, just a few lines to introduce to you, a name of a good man, of which I believe he will lead the road to discover the brutal slaughter of the evangelistas, if you only give him the power to act the investigation. This man lives at 1485 East Grand River in Lansing. His name is George Preco. Later that day, two detectives made their way to Lansing to interview Preco, a tailor who worked at a vocational school for boys. Unfortunately, Preco claimed to have no idea who might have sent the letter, but he did confess to know something about Benny. According to Preco, a friend of his from Detroit had once visited Benny for treatment. During the appointment, Benny confided to the friend that he feared a former patient was going to kill him. In fact, as some have pointed out, in the preface of his book, Benny appeared to have a prophetic sense that he was going to die, writing that only if I live shall I tell of the third world, a reference to one of the later volumes he planned to write. As for helping the investigation, however, Preco's information was far too vague to be of any use. Police then turned their attention again to the idea that Benny and his family were murdered for money. The theory was given greater credibility when it was revealed that the night before their death, Benny had made arrangements to have a truckload of scrap timber delivered to his property early the next morning. Having offered $200 for the material, about $3,000 in today's money, the delivery was arranged for 7am. And yet... Despite the family's bodies not being found until 10.30am, no delivery of timber was made to their home. Since Benny was thought to have agreed to pay cash on arrival, the fact that no money was found at the property during the police investigation led some to believe that whoever knew about the delivery might also have known the money would be in the house. Neither the driver or the person who Benny arranged the delivery with was traced. Although it would by no means have been unheard of, 
Most simply couldn't believe that a crime of such deliberate brutality would be perpetrated for such a relatively small sum of money. But what the police ultimately couldn't shake was the suspicion that all of it was somehow linked to Benny's strange and unusual religion. And so they began to dig a little further into his past, in particular to his time spent in York County, Pennsylvania, a place located in the heart of powwow country. The practice of powwow is thought to have arrived in America with Dutch and German, mainly Amish, immigrants in the 18th century. With many heading to Pennsylvania, the state soon became a focal point for what would eventually become the Pennsylvania Dutch powwow tradition. Though taking many forms, the practice essentially involves the utilising of spells and charms in an effort to cure illness and disease. The term powwow is thought to derive from the Algonquin word for healer or dreaming for divination and healing purposes. However, it wasn't until the publication of the book Powwows or Long Lost Friend by Johann George Homan that it became synonymous with the growing folk magic movement. Homan and his family emigrated to Pennsylvania from Germany in 1802. Practically penniless when they arrived, Homan and his wife Anna Catherine were forced to sell themselves as indentured servants to raise money to live. Though separated at first, the family were eventually reunited once their debt was paid off with Homan by then making a living writing ballads and hymns to sell at market. Then in 1820, he published Long Lost Friend, a peculiar mix of prayers and healing recipes. Though Homan never intended it to be used for magical purposes, it soon gained a glowing reputation among many of the local faith healers and powwow practitioners. Even mere ownership of the book was said to bring protective powers to anyone who possessed it. It is thought Benny's own attempted religion and self-proclamation as a prophet and healer was heavily influenced by the powwow movement, all of which led police to wonder if his death was linked to an equally bizarre murder that occurred in Pennsylvania the previous year. It was during Thanksgiving of 1928 that 32-year-old John Blymere arrived at the Marietta farmhouse of Nellie Knoll, also known as the River Witch, in Pennsylvania's Lancaster County. Blymere had been struggling with his mental health over the loss of two children and his wife leaving him. Over time, he came to suspect his misfortune was due to the fact that someone had put a curse on him. Over the course of six sessions at her home, employing all manner of spells, charms and herbal remedies, Noel attempted to determine the source of Blymeyer's misery. At the end of the final session, Noel asked Blymeyer to hold out his palm, into which she placed a single dollar coin, telling him that the moment he removed it, he would see the cause of all his pain. Blymeyer promptly removed the coin, whereby he later claimed to see a vision of Nelson Raymeyer, another local witch doctor and acquaintance of Blymeyer's who lived at a place known coincidentally as Hex Hollow, roughly 20 miles away. With the malignant agent identified, Noel informed Blymeyer that in order to break the curse, he needed to collect a lock of Raymeyer's hair and bury it six feet underground, but more crucially, he must also locate Raymeyer's copy of the long-lost friend and burn it. And so on November 27th, 
Blymeyer and two accomplices arrived at Raymeyer's home and assaulted him. It isn't clear if the men had only intended to subdue Raymeyer to collect some hair and steal his book, but after a quick struggle that lasted less than a minute, Raymeyer was dead. Unable to even find the book afterwards, Blymeyer decided to set fire to the entire house to be sure it was destroyed. He and his accomplices were captured soon after, with Blymeyer sentenced to life for his crime. Though ultimately he regretted his actions, he remained convinced nonetheless that Raymeyer's death had successfully broken the curse. This year I'm refocusing on what it means to take care of myself, and it couldn't be easier than with Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers delicious food, all built on organic fruits and vegetables, right to your door. It takes literally minutes to prepare, and I never have to think twice if the food I'm eating is good for me. Daily Harvest works directly with organic farms to freeze their ingredients right on the farm at peak ripeness to lock in nutrients and taste. They never use preservatives, added sugar, or artificial anything. Personally, I'm a big fan of the tart cherry and raspberry smoothies, which are the perfect start to the day. With Daily Harvest, there's something for any time. Smoothies for breakfast, crisp flatbreads for lunch or dinner, and food that's perfect for cooler weather too like their perfectly roasted harvest bowls and soups. With Daily Harvest, I'm enjoying undeniably delicious, clean food without any of the prep. And whether you're looking to have your daily dose of fruits and veggies, or just want to have a little more time back on your hands, you can too. Get started today. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code UNEXPLAINED to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code UNEXPLAINED for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com. Though the police couldn't find any obvious connection between Benny and the Raymire murder, it did lead them to something else. Having looked further into Benny's time in York County, police became interested in a man he met there shortly after he arrived in 1906. Aurelius Angelino, also known as Leon, was 20 years older than Benny and had also emigrated to the US from Napoli. With Benny only 22 when he was effectively banished to Pennsylvania by his older brother, some have speculated that Leon quickly became something of a father figure to him. But more than anything, what drew them together was their mutual fascination of occult philosophies, and in particular the mystical teachings of theosophy. In May 1919, for reasons unknown, Angelino was jailed and committed to a psychiatric unit, only to be released soon after due to the pleas of his distraught wife, who'd been left alone to look after their four children. The day after he returned home, however, Angelino attacked his wife with a club while she made dinner. After fighting him off, she somehow managed to escape the house, taking two of their children with her into the garden to get away from him. Back inside the house, however, Angelino quickly located the other two children, who he then battered to death. After stripping naked, Angelino picked up his blood-soaked children and carried them into the yard, where he proceeded to chop one of them up, stuffing their remains into a garbage can before police eventually arrived to subdue him. Leon was consequently committed to what used to be Fairview State Hospital in Pennsylvania. Believing they might have a lead, Detectives working the Evangelista murder went to Fairview to interview Leon, only to discover, much to their alarm, that he'd escaped from the hospital the year after he was committed. 
1927, two years before the evangelist murders, a body was discovered on a train track in Baltimore that was later identified as Aurelius Angelino by his wife. Though Detroit police were satisfied this meant he couldn't possibly be their man, some have speculated that due to the mangled state of his body, it is entirely possible his wife was mistaken in her positive identification. Nonetheless, the Evangelista case remained open. With the investigation beginning to peter out once more, Detective Fred Fraum, who was now leading the investigation, was surprised to read one morning in the Border City Star that one of his detectives, Michael Larco, had cracked the case. Larco, a member of Detroit's Italian squad, specialising in crimes relating to the Italian-American community, was duly brought in for questioning to give his side of the story. It was a few weeks earlier, he said, when he received a call from US immigration asking him to take custody of an Italian man who'd been picked up in the town of Windsor, having illegally crossed the Canadian border. Strangely, when the man was asked to empty his pockets on arrival at the station in Detroit, he was found to have a piece of paper with the address 3587 St. Auburn Street written on it, the home of the Evangelista family. He also happened to have a copy of the oldest history on him too. Then, over the next few days, according to Larco, the man slowly began to open up. Not only did he know Benny, he'd also once been a client of his. On his first visit to Benny's home, the man, who had gone to treat a minor ailment, was given a copy of his book, before being led down into the bizarre basement altar space. There, the man watched, a little unnerved, as Benny fell into a trance and proceeded to administer a cure for him. Having felt better, he continued to visit Benny until eventually he was broke. Only when his ailment returned did he realise that he'd been duped. In the evening of July 2nd, the man slipped into Benny's home and found him sitting in a trance at his desk. Taking the meat cleaver he'd brought with him, he chopped Benny's head clean off, then turned to find Benny's daughter staring up at him in stunned disbelief. Believing he had no other choice, the man proceeded to murder the rest of the family, and when it was done, fled to Canada. Detective Larco claimed to have travelled to Windsor himself to verify bank withdrawals made by the man to Benny for the sum of $10, the amount he routinely charged his clients. Only, none of it was true. Larco had made the whole thing up, attempting to pin the crime on the unknown Italian man in the hope of receiving the state's by then $4,000 reward for the killer's capture. The man's prints were taken nonetheless, and after they were found not to match those at the Evangelista property, he was quietly released the following day. In what appears to have been a recurring theme in his career, Detective Larco was eventually reprimanded and convicted of soliciting a bribe. Over the next year, attention in the Evangelista case inevitably began to wane, with no further evidence coming to light. To fill the vacuum, police began increasingly to turn to more bizarre theories. One detective suggested the killings were part of a series of 40 disparate murders, all perpetrated by the same serial killer, who he'd given the name the Holiday Ripper, but the theory was never seriously investigated. And so the case went dormant. 
Two years later, on Sunday, November 20th, roughly 10 blocks from the former Evangelista property, a man walked into the home of Robert Harris, a member of the Allah Temple of Islam, soon to be Nation of Islam, that had been established by Wallace Fard two years previously. As the man searched for Harris, he stepped into a crude altar room at the back of the property and found the body of a man named James Smith spread out limply on top of it, an eight-inch knife thrust into his heart all the way to the hilt. His head had also been bashed in. Harris, who was arrested along with his wife Bertha later that afternoon, having gone to a friend's house for lunch, immediately confessed to the murder. As he explained to police, he'd murdered Smith as a sacrifice to Allah, claiming that the man had voluntarily climbed onto the altar after Harris promised him his sacrifice would make him the saviour of the world. Though Harris had no real standing in the Allah Temple of Islam, and his history of mental illness was well known to his family and other members, it didn't stop the media proclaiming him as the temple's high priest and describing the movement as nothing but a voodoo cult obsessed with ritual and human sacrifice. As such, investigators looking into the Evangelista case couldn't help but wonder if Robert Harris was the man they had been looking for all this time. Despite only the most tenuous of links, with both Benny's apparent religion and the Allah Temple of Islam being described lazily as cults, Harris was investigated for the crime. However, not only did his prints not match those found at the scene, but he was also in Tennessee at the time of the murders. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Sign up today and start communicating in less than 48 hours. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. You can also log into your account anytime to send a message to your counsellor. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, nor self-help. It is professional counselling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available. And with BetterHelp's commitment to facilitating great therapeutic matches, they make it especially easy and free to change counsellors to help you find the right fit. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and unexplained listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash unexplained. That's betterhelp.com forward slash unexplained. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Six years had passed since the Evangelista family were brutally butchered in their home at 3587 St. Auburn Street when a woman, Teresa Maicucci, walked into Hunt Street Police Station claiming to have some vital information pertaining to the murders. Though the original investigators had long moved on to other cases, Teresa was taken to see Detective Charles Snyder, who duly set about taking her statement. The information was regarding her ex-husband, Umberto Tecchio, one of the original suspects in the case, who'd been arrested the day the bodies were discovered, alongside his friend Angelo Dipoli. As she went on to explain... She and Umberto had actually been to the Evangelista home on a number of occasions because she had once been a client of Benny's, having been taken there by Umberto 
to undergo a series of healing rituals. Something that had always bugged her since the murders, she said, was the fact that Benny, as she recalled, used to have two machetes hanging up on the wall of his office. But nothing was ever mentioned of them in the subsequent investigation. Presumably, she thought, because they were no longer there when the police inspected the property. Not only would Umberto have known about them from the times they went to visit Benny, but he had some previous too. In April 1929, three months before the Evangelista murders, Tecchio stabbed his then-wife's brother to death in a dispute over money. Teresa divorced Tecchio three weeks later, but despite efforts to rid him from her life, in 1932, her second husband, Louis Peruzzi, was found shot dead on their porch. Only days before his death, Peruzzi had begged police for protection from Tecchio, who'd threatened to kill him and blow up the house. The death was oddly ruled as suicide. And then more people began to come out of the woodwork. Frank Costanza, who was a 14-year-old paperboy at the time, revealed that he saw Tecchio leaving the Evangelista property at 5am in the morning, despite Tecchio's previous claim that he'd returned to his boarding house at 11pm the night before. Following up this claim, Detective Snyder re-interviewed former acquaintances of Tecchio's from the boarding house and received some startling information. One former lodger, Camillo Treas, admitted that he had also accompanied Tecchio, along with Dipoli, to the Evangelista property the night before the murders. Though they did return to the boarding house at 11pm after going out drinking, as Tecchio had originally stated, by the time Treas woke up the next morning at 7pm, Umberto was nowhere to be seen. He didn't return to the boarding house until 4pm the next day, when he arrived carrying a canvas mason bag about three feet in length. This bag, however, was never found. As for Tecchio, police were unfortunately unable to interview him again because by then, he too was dead, dying of a brain hemorrhage in November 1935. As frustrating as all this was, the irony of it was that it was only the event of Tecchio's death that gave others the confidence to come forward in the first place with all the new information. Regardless, in August 1936, Detective Snyder compiled a final report on the crimes, concluding that Umberto Tecchio was the murderer. Two weeks later, Tecchio's prints were sent to another police department to verify them against the bloody prints found at the Evangelista home, and they were stunned by the result. The prints were not a match. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help support us, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are greatly appreciated. Unexplained the book and audiobook featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained 
including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.